get chasing better. No matter where I go, I want you to know that I'm out here chasing better. I'm gonna take this far. Today is where I start. In my home, I'm better. Every day, I'm better. What can I say I'm better? I'm chasing better, better, better. better. In my life, I'm better. Living dreams, I'm better. What do I mean? I'm better. I'm chasing better, 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 better. Hey everybody, this is Corey Baker and you are listening to the Chasing Better podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Lots to get to and um, I've got a, a friend that has um, taught me a lot. He's actually been a guest before uh, on our podcast. If you listened last week, I had some uh, other good friends, Alex and Angie Bryant on talking about uh, their new book, Start Again. And uh, if, you, if you missed that podcast, I highly suggest that you listen to it. Uh, it was it was taken more from a uh, a ministry uh, Christian perspective. Alex is a a black man, and Angie is a white uh, woman. They have five uh, uh, biracial children and have a very unique perspective on just all that is happening in our our world today. And and there's a lot of directions we could go. Uh, we've had a, a crazy few months with coronavirus, and now with uh, just so much at the surface regarding. Uh, the, the, the race and equality question and uh, police brutality and, and just people that are desperate to have their voices heard. And I'm excited to have my friend Corey Leak back on uh, to have a little discussion today. Corey, thanks so much for jumping back on with me today. Excited to uh, chat for a little bit. Man, thanks for having me back. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having another conversation with you. So can you just, I mean, I know people have heard before. Um, so here's the deal. You know, I mean, I would I don't know how to know these numbers. I'm not necessarily, I have no, I'm not a tech savvy guy, but I'm guessing that well over 90 to 95% of my uh, audience is uh, white. And, uh, and I'm sure probably in a situation of uh, really internalizing or, or questioning a lot of their own self and wondering what they can do. So just by way of introduction, just to bring people up to speed, maybe just tell people a little bit about you, your family, um, and, and what it is that, that you do, because you've been talking about this for years, not just for the last you know month or so since all this George, uh, George Floyd stuff come out, and now other stories are, are coming out too. But maybe just give us a little intro as to what you do. Yeah, man. Well, you know, first, uh, first I'm, I'm a husband, and I'm a father to three uh, African-American teenage women. Um, and I'm living in the Bay Area. Uh, I've, I've, I'm, it's hard to <laughs> say all that I do. I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, a podcaster. I still sing from time to time uh, when churches call me and invite me to come out and sing. Although I'm enjoying that, to be honest with you and your audience, um, little, little window into my life, I'm enjoying that less and less um, these days. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm out here, what I really feel like I'm, trying to do and, and what I what I hear from my soul on a daily basis is trying to put good out in the world. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, after after we America, I should say, witnessed the lynching of George Floyd, um, I never saw the video. And I and I still haven't watched the video because it's traumatizing. 
to see. It's traumatizing to watch. It's traumatizing to even hear the story. I didn't watch the Ahmaud Arbery video. Uh, I haven't seen the video from Friday night in Atlanta with Richard Brooks. Um, to hear all the stories is traumatizing enough, but let alone to watch the video. So anyway, when, when, when the video surfaced a couple weeks ago, um, I started getting all of these calls and texts and emails and people reaching out through social media to, to either ask me how I was doing or to talk to me about race or to invite me to do something with their job or their church to, you know, because I'm also a diversity and inclusion coach. Um, I, got the, I got certification through Cornell University to do that. And so I felt very overwhelmed. And I was standing in my living room with my wife and I was, I was like, I just need to go out on the front porch, smoke a cigar and, and get space to be, because I feel overwhelmed and I need help. And my wife wasn't really, you know, we hadn't really been talking a lot about how I was feeling. And she's like, I don't understand. Isn't this what you wanted? You know, thinking, basically saying that I would be able to um, support our family by talking about things that were important to me. And I said, no, this is not what I wanted. This isn't what Dr. King wanted. This isn't what Malcolm X wanted. No, no one, this isn't what Gandhi wanted. No one wanted their life to be spent trying to prove or trying to validate the experience of a marginalized oppressed people group. So when I talk about what I do and when I talk about putting good out in the world, I didn't want all of that good to just be about anti-racism. You know, I, I, I wanted to talk about love and, and, and peace and, and, you know, I wanted to, to, to talk about how some things that I've learned um, through study and reading and, 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 and conversation about God, I wanted to share those things and, and you know, hope for a brighter future. And some of that is a part of the work of anti-racism, but man, you know, I, I'm in, right now I'm almost exclusively talking about race, which is because it's needed and I'm happy to have an opportunity to do so, but it is certainly taxing, um, you know, to be, to be basically fighting for your life with the content that you're putting out. So I want to just chat about a few things. Again, I mentioned that, you know, the vast majority of, um, the vast majority of our audiences is white. I've, I've seen to me, I've seen a lot more people that are, um, that are white that are now putting themselves in a position of saying, Hey, for the longest time I have been silent on this and I am at a place of now being, being willing to listen. I, so I had this, like, I have two recurring dreams and it didn't dawn on me until a, several weeks ago. I'm, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, has this thought that a dream always means something. I think a dream sometimes is just you ate a bad taco and you, you know, it doesn't always mean, you know, that there's, you know, seven levels of meaning. I don't know. But I think these two dreams have some significance and I think it plays a lot. So I have two, two recurring dreams. One is that I'm standing on a stage trying to talk, but I have no words. I can't talk. I can't speak. And it's terrifying. Like I'm for someone that communicates, to be able to stand up on a, and just not be able to talk is terrifying. The second is weird, but I have this dream that I'm, and I've had this dream probably 15, 20 times in my life. I'm on, my, I'm on a planet like Mars and I'm alone. And there's nobody else there except me. And I'm crying out for someone to help me, but no one will listen. 
and I can't, and I have this, this reality that I'm alone and I'm always going to be alone. Mm. I, I think of those two dreams and I'm, and it probably ever since all this George, George Floyd stuff came out, had this reality. And this is probably what has changed me more than anything is this reality of those two dreams that I have. There is a segment of society that has felt that way their whole life. Yeah, man. That nobody is listening to what they're saying and that they're faced with this reality that they're alone and there's no hope. And Corey, what, why do you, why do you think it is that George Floyd has awakened? I'm sorry. I know I'm on your podcast, but oh, I'm man, no, this is a conversation. I love it. Why do you think it is that George Floyd was so eye opening for so many white people? I mean, cause it wasn't, that wasn't the first, this wasn't the first video police brutality. And this wasn't, you know, and, and it's not like he had a clean rap sheet, which which I'm sure some of the folks who are listening to you have at least been, been aware of, you know, the the stuff that Candace Owens has been sh- saying about, you know, George Floyd's criminal history. I mean, so it's not as if, you know, we're talking about a, a, a pastor, you know, um, or, you know, that, that was out there and, and killed by a police officer. Why do you think George Floyd was so triggering in such a moment for American history? You know, I think, I think honestly, a lot of it is we, we keep, we keep seeing all these memes about 2020 and how, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we had Kobe Bryant's death, which I know was a, was a yeah. huge deal to you. And, and that, yeah. you know, even his just, you know, that got people starting to just Thing because you know you started to see stuff about his documentary and, and about African American culture, and then you got coronavirus, and you got people that you know are are home and and just pent up, and there's and there's aggression and 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 there's unsettling, and then and this happened. So I think it was kind of I don't know another way to say this because it's not it's it's an imperfect so but a perfect storm of just a lot of things that kind of happened on on the edge and. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I find and think that this wokeness should have happened a long time ago. Um, so I don't know. I don't know, to be honest, what it was about this. I think just the sheer brutality. Um, but you're right. This, this is not the first time that we've got video evidence of, you know, police brutality. Um, I wish I had a better answer. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I mean, I do, I do think that the, the idea of the coronavirus, I think the fact that people are at home restless, I think it was just sort of, we were already in this sort of heightened, heightened uh, time of frustration and pent up aggression. And, um, you know, prior to Ahmaud Arbery, I'm sure you, I don't know if you, you know, remember, but cause it's, it's like, it's like so much has happened, but there were a lot of um, demonstrations, protests, um, I guess, depending on who you ask, riots <laughs> about yeah. uh, about reopening our economy. You know, you had people storming the 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 storming Capitol buildings with assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're living in this time of of just heightened frustration um, of being maybe hunkered down in the house. Maybe it's also that we have a more of a, a, a shared. Uh, shared sense of going through something together. It's like it's like if you watch the documentaries on those on those iconic uh, sports teams who won a championship or defied the odds to win a championship, and all of those folks who were on that team 
have a bond almost forever. They may not even like each other, yeah. but there's something they have in common that like puts them in this sort of shared space. But yeah, I was just interested to know what you thought, but I, I wanna, I, I'm not sure if you were finished with your Mars story. I was, I was interested in that, but I just like, you know, I got triggered by the whole George Floyd and people being aware now. Yeah. Were, were you done with the Mars story? I, I, don't, I don't mean no, to like- No, no, I, I, no I, think, but that, I think that has been part of, you know, so the whole concept is I, I, I don't know if I can speak for every person, you know, I, right, I, right. I can speak None of us can. For, for, my, for my perspective and my reality in terms of myself. I think I will tell you this, that all of this has caused me as a white man to look inward more than I ever have. Um, fully understanding that, you know, I can't, I can't go and I can't go and change how I acted or what I said or any of those kind of things prior to that date in early May. I, I am, mm. I am mm. in a place of, of looking inward and saying that for the, for, for my whole life, I have been, I've been silent. I have, I have, I have done the very thing that people, or I have done the very thing that my dream explained, which was I have ignored the cries of people that are crying for help. Mm. And I, and I'll tell you, it's been, it's been a, it's been an interesting month and I, I'm not looking for any sort of, you know, <laughs> I'm not looking for any sort of sympathy. I'm just telling you for me, I have been, I have been woken to the horrors that exist within me more than I ever mm. have been before. Mm. And wow. to me, I can't, I can't speak to the systematic racism that exists in our country until I first speak to the systematic racism that is implanted in my spirit. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Well, and I think also, you know, you also have not only speaking to the racism in your own self, your own implicit bias, your own, um, you know, complicity. Um, it's also the people who have been harmed, right? So there, if I if I could, I'm going to tell this this quick story. Go for it. Um, any anybody who's listening, who's been in church or Sunday school, knows the story of Zacchaeus. Um, but there's there's. In the, in the book of Luke, there's these two sort of twin stories of rich people, uh, wealthy people. The first is a guy who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, just do whatever Moses told you to do, because that's, you know, that, that's, that's what's been prescribed by the law, by we are Jewish people. This is what our beliefs are. And the guy's like, oh, cool. I've been doing that since birth. And then Jesus ups the ante and says to him, well, actually, there's one thing that you lack. He said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the next verse following that is like, to me, one of the most ominous and saddest verses in all of scripture. It says the man walked away sorrowfully because he had too much stuff. And so this, this rich man wants to participate in a new way of living, in a way of living that is, that is egalitarian, that is just, that is, that is, you know, that he hears Jesus talking about a kingdom and he's like, I want in. And Jesus says, your way in is by being willing to let go of your privilege, let go of your wealth, let go of, of, of the thing that, that 
the, the extra that you have that other folks don't have. And he walks away sorrowfully. And then Jesus turns around and, and looks at his disciples and says, um, you know, how hard is it for a man, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, not heaven, but kingdom of God, meaning God's way of peace and justice and um, uh, again, egalitarianism amongst all human beings who were created in the image of God. How hard is it for someone with privilege to enter into that, enter into that space? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, which is, which in essence was a passageway that travelers who had loaded down camels with all their stuff, they had to take the stuff off the camel. And even then it was very hard to push the camel through this narrow, open, op this narrow opening. And Jesus is basically making the point that you can't enter into God's way of being, a way, a, a way of justice without unloading the privilege that bogs you down. And so then there's the story of Zacchaeus that follows this. And Zacchaeus is in a tree. And Jesus walks up to Zacchaeus and says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus is like, cool, awesome, come to my house. And the first and the next, the next scene of this story is Zacchaeus, un, according to the, the story, we don't know what, what preceded this. We don't know what conversation he had with Jesus on the way to his house. All we know is the next thing we know inside Zacchaeus' house, he says to Jesus, I am going to give everything that I have away to the poor. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector and tax collectors were embezzling and swindling and they benefited from taking advantage of the oppressed. He said, I'm gonna give everything I have to the poor. And here's the line that, was, that is amazing to me and so contrasts the rich young ruler. He says, and if I have wronged anyone, I will give it back four times over. And to me, when you talk about not only recognizing what's in me, what, what is in me that is um, dark? What is in me that, that doesn't see marginalized people as fully human, that feels like they, if, they, if, if they're living in extreme poverty, it's because they deserve it. If they're living in a violent police state, it's because they deserve it. What is, what is it that's in me that thinks that way, that, that I need to fully examine and interrogate some of those thoughts? And then also, if there are black and brown people, let's not even say black and brown but for this season, if there are black folks who I know that I've said racist things to, that I know I have treated unfairly, that I know that if, I, if I'm a business owner and I fire them and it could have very well been due to my implicit bias, before I go posting on social media, before I go buying Black Lives Matter t-shirts, before I go, go taking selfies at, at, at at a protest, I need to get on the phone or send a text or an email or maybe even send a check to uh, black folks who I have harmed due to my implicit bias. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I love, bro, I love um, what you're saying. I love the idea of examining again, and as I, I, I like to use the phrase, interrogating mm -hmm. so my own thoughts and feelings about, about race and about privilege and then at once i've done the interrogation and once i've done that and done some homework and some research if i if people come to mind who i need to make it good with then i, I think i think um i think that's the next step well I, I think what's interesting and i love that story and i am finding myself more and more at a place of longing to be zacchaeus um, 
And you know what's interesting about that story is I think a lot of times people get this idea that that was a one-time event, that he just like had this one-time realization that he was going to give all his money away and pay back people. I got the impression that that's how he lived the rest of his life, not just once. Right. You know, I, I have this belief that we should want dollars flowing into the pockets of good people that are committed to doing good things with it. Um, that this is an opportunity for people to continuously, you know, and if, and if I'm someone that is oppressed, do I want dollars flowing into the rich young rulers pockets or do I want dollars flowing into Zacchaeus pockets? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I think if, you know, I would want dollars flowing into the pockets of people that are committed to doing good things with them. So, um, it's, it's an interesting discussion for sure. And, and I'm, I'm, I love the concept of interrogating yourself and, and I'm certainly in that, um, in that season. Uh, and so I guess that's, we kind of, you talked about this a little bit, but what, what like encouragements would you have? If, if you are someone that is talking to an audience of people like me, that they've posted Black Lives Matter and they've maybe attended a couple demonstrations and, you know, they've, done this whole deal but now they're like hey what what else can i do like once you're at this place where you are awakened to that realization what does someone do to now not just be awakened to the realities of systematic racism what needs to happen so that a person can turn from an ally to an advocate what I think it's one thing to be able to say, yes, black lives matter. What, what's the next step? Because I want change, you know, and I, I can imagine that if I want change, multiply that by 416. And that's where you're at. You're not at a place where you want change. Like you're crying out desperate. Like I was on that planet with no one hearing like change is like a desperation thing. So how does someone go from being, an ally in posting about things on social media to now being an advocate? That's a great question, man. And I think there's, um, I think there's steps along the way um, that people take and, and you find yourselves, um, you know, when you're awakening to this at, you know, varying places. I mean, you know, you can, there are some folks who, you know, they, they, they awaken to the issue of race and racism because of proximity to you know, maybe they've adopted black kids. Um, maybe they entered into a, a romantic relationship with a, with a black partner. And then you start to see firsthand, like what, what life is like lived in America as a black human, right? Like getting proximity to that, um, whether you have adopted or, or entered into a relationship, you know, and romantically with a partner, or not, I think the first step is to get, and I love this, this point you brought up about maintaining, not just to like one time have this like come to Jesus moment where it's like, you know, uh, one time I did an act and then that just, that, that gets me a badge for the rest of my life. But like to get in and stay in proximity to people, to black folks. Um, now, black people are 14% of the population in America, right? So 
you know, maybe, maybe your proximity to black folks is not a personal relationship, depending upon where you live, but you can get proximity to black people through reading the work of black people. I'm, I'm, a, I'm fascinated, you know, Corey, you and I both sort of come out of the um, Christian tradition. I'm fascinated how many white evangelical pastors don't read people of color. Every book on theology, every book on leadership, every book that they have on whatever it is that, they're, that they are trying to learn to be better at their craft is usually by white men. Um, and so that's, that's another way of gaining proximity. You may not know a friend who wants, who, who A, wants to talk about this stuff with you and B, is even knowledgeable about it. You know, it's interesting because off air, you were talking about becoming aware of Juneteenth. I wasn't aware of Juneteenth until like six years ago. Yeah. And I'm 42 years old now. So I don't, I don't know the math. Was it 36? I was 36 years old. So sometimes people think that black, every black person knows all that there is to know about race and, right. and, and about black history. And we don't. So um, I think, but I do think being in proximity to someone who is black is helpful. I think reading, watching some documentaries, um, I think allowing yourself to, to emotionally connect to what's going on, because once you can emotionally connect to it, I think, you know, I think George Floyd was kind of an emotional connection for a lot of white people. Uh, I think what, from what I've heard, it, the stories, him crying out for his mom as he was breathing his last breath is something that every human being can connect to. Um, we all, you know, we all have mothers and fathers. Um, we all have, we all know what it is to have brothers and sisters. We all know what it is to have family. We all, we all have that in common. And I think there was something about him crying out for his mom that made people go, oh, damn. Like, that was, that was a human being. Um, because I think that's the, I think one of the, the larger points, and, I, and I'm sorry if I'm going a little bit long into oh, this good. question, but, but like, is what's happened in America is that black folks have been dehumanized. Yes. Slavery. We, we can't forget that all of this started not with George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or, Arbery or Trayvon Martin. It started with chattel slavery in America. That was the very beginning of it. That, and, and that started because of capitalism because of having a, a, a way of, um, of, of manufacturing and, and having work done that builds this country for free. Mm -hmm. um, that's what started all of this. And then we moved into a segregation era. And th then there was the, the uh, first movie shown in the White House, Birth of a Nation, which further cemented the ideas that black people were animals, that we were, again, we, in the Constitution, we are three-fifths of a human. Hmm. In the uh, late, late 19th to early 20th century, white people would go to church on Sunday morning in their Sunday best, hear sermons about the love of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, and they would leave those church services on Sunday morning, probably around 11 o'clock, go get something to eat at 12, around 12.30, look at their watch and say, hey guys, we gotta go because we're going to the lynching of a black human being. Hmm. Because they were scheduled, they were advertised, 
and they 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 were they were spectacles. They were they they took pictures next to the dead bodies of black people, and sent that postcard out to their family members. They sold paraphernalia at the lynchings of black human beings. So until white people begin to see black people as fully human, just like they are, with families, with tough choices to make, like you, you I, I, on my podcast, and then I'll be done, I'll wrap this up because I know we don't have a lot of time on my podcast, um, I think around episode five, I had a conversation with a guy who told a story of a black kid who took a gun to school. And I'll just say this, taking the gun to school was the best choice this boy had. Given his choices, here's choice A, choice B, and choice C is to bring a gun to school. Choice C was the best choice he had. And when you start to see these things from a human perspective and not just like the, those three-fifths of those three-fifths humans over there who live in squalor, like they, they're those people, of course, you know, they take guns to school and they're savages. But when you put yourself in the shoes of another person and you go, man, I don't know what the hell I would have done. Mm-hmm. I think I probably would have taken the gun to school too. And I think it's that awareness that makes white people go, okay, Damn it, I, I, I can't just sit here. I can't sit in my house, look out my window and see that people are cold and continue to go, man, it looks cold out there. I hope those people get help. I have to leave my damn house, go outside, and either invite them in or give them a coat or help them build a house, but I have to do something. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm at that place. I saw something, LeBron James, I think this morning tweeted this video about this black kid out in the driveway playing basketball. And there's, you see him stop shooting and hide behind a car because he saw a police officer drive by and then he started shooting again. And I thought to myself, like, my girls have never had to do that. I live in a nice neighborhood. My girls don't know the reality of being afraid when they're just out minding their own business, being a kid shooting baskets. And, you know, here's the thing. I I don't, I've not talked to any um, of my black friends that have thought to themselves, you know what, this is really awesome. We, we need more people going and breaking into targets. That's what we need. I, but at the same token, I don't know what it's like to be ignored my whole life either. Yeah. yeah. And I, what you just said about, I don't know what I would do in that situation about bringing the gun. I, I don't know. And in this situation, I don't know how I'd respond if I felt like I've had a proverbial boot on my neck for 35 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would react to that. So I truly hope that people, instead of rushing to judgment to talk about things that they don't understand, would put themselves in a position of listening to understand and have empathy to realize that we're fighting for something that I believe can change. And, um, and I, am, I am committed to uh, being a part of the solution to figure out ways. And if you're listening to this, figuring out ways to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If you have opportunities to make life different, better, 
um, be more generous. If you find people that are uh, having challenges and they're people of color, do what you can. Of course, you can't fix everything, but do what you can do. Uh, man, Corey, thanks for your time. Thanks for your stories. Thanks for your willingness to share. And love to maybe just have you kind of conclude by telling people where to find you if, if they're interested in learning more. And uh, I know that you have uh, a podcast, that you're an author, that you're a blogger. Uh, people can support what you're doing. I know we do um, on a monthly basis. Um, people can do that to uh, maybe look at it and say, hey, what, what are some things that I can do to not just be an ally, be an advocate? So maybe just talk a little bit about um, how people can find you and partner with you if that's something they choose to do. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for, um, again, thanks for having me, man. And thanks for your partnership. I think it's important. And I'm, you're one of the folks who has been like Zacchaeus, you know, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm moved by that. It's important. It's valuable. And I, I so appreciate that. Um, folks that can, folks can find me on my website. It's probably the best place. If you just go to CoreyEvanLeak.com. Um, all of, Corey of what with an e, the right way to spell yeah, the name. Yeah, exactly. Corey with an E. Um, you go to CoreyEvanLeak.com. From there, you can get to my Patreon. There's a button there to uh, to be able to support if you want to join that community and be an, an advocate in that way. Um, you can also access all of my social media through uh, going to my website. So that's probably the easiest um, easiest way of getting in touch with me. And I would just say from my, uh, I would, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you are looking for something to do and you're, you're one of these people that's like, listen, I don't have much. I don't have, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, at a place where I can do a lot. I, I think um, I know every little bit helps. And if you're looking for someone to partner with that is uh, on the front lines of changing the fabric of social justice in our country, uh, Corey is on the front lines of that. And I highly recommend uh, doing what you can to partner together with him as, uh, as we do our very best to change this world, not just change the world for the privileged majority, but change the world for everybody because everybody has that right. So Corey, thank you, man. Appreciate what you do. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Everybody, this has been the Chasing Better Podcast. If this is something that you found value in today, I highly uh, encourage you to share this podcast. Let somebody else have a listen to it. And uh, let's all do what we can to make our world a better place for every single living soul. Thanks for listening, everybody. See no more fears or move by peers. I dry my tears, cause I'm right here. See, I'm singing and dancing, loving, outlasting, striving, providing, I widen my horizon. I'm chasing better, chasing better, 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 I'm chasing better.